When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good morning, Birdland. I'm Mark Brown. I've been blogging about the Orioles for more than a decade on CamdenChat.com, and I've been waiting for them to win the World Series for my entire life. Whether you've been reading me forever or just found this podcast now, I'm glad to have you here with me. Let's talk some Orioles. It's April the 19th, 2023, and before I get into anything to do with the Orioles, I want to talk about something else, because there was news yesterday that Cincinnati Reds starting pitcher Hunter Green, former number two overall pick in the draft, who is now in his second MLB season, received a six-year, $53 million contract extension from the Reds. The contract could go up to as much as seven years and $92 million if assorted escalators and options are picked up. And the reason why I think this is important is because the Reds are really one of the few teams whose owner might have an idiot son who needs to stop talking on the same level of John Angelos. The Reds owner's idiot son also offended people over the last several months, including, as I recall, infamously saying of Reds fans, where are they going to go? Because it's true, you don't have many other options for Cincinnati baseball. But pretty rude thing to say. Uh, I think you'd have to be an idiot son of a hundred millionaire or billionaire to say something so stupid in public in front of people. So John Angelos, while he does have some competition, but even the team with that idiot owner's son, uh, they've been slashing payroll. It's been 10 years since they last had a season where they won more than 83 games. And before this green contract extension, the Reds actually had no guaranteed money for the 2024 season because Joey Votto's contract will finally run out for them after 2023. All their other players are only arbitration eligible. They have no money on the books, or they had no money on the books uh, until they made this green contract. Even these Cincinnati Reds can sign a talented young player, young in service time, young in years, to a contract extension. I'm still waiting for the Orioles to make some kind of tangible financial commitment to somebody that goes to next year and beyond. We'll see. Of course, it's going to be up to the Orioles to decide who's worth giving that kind of money. Players are going to have to prove themselves that they're worth it. But John Angelos, if he's the reason it's not happening, or Mike Elias, if he's the reason it's not happening, those guys, between the two of them, whoever gets whatever percentage of the blame, they need to do it. Teams are making these contract extensions a lot lately. You can't even really be guaranteed to get someone hitting free agency if the Orioles were ever going to make try and make a significant free agent signing. So that makes it even more important to lock up their own young players so that they don't need to eventually replace them with free agents. So I'm, I'm still waiting to see when that's going to happen. 
uh, I guess in in the past years, you would not really expect this kind of stuff during the season, but it's it's player contract extension forever. It's been going on a steady stream for a while, and I I just want to see the Orioles do one. Okay, so the Orioles, they're now 10-7 after beating the Nationals by a 1-0 margin on Tuesday night. That leaves them four and a half games back of the Tampa Bay Rays, who have finally lost some games. It was the second shutout of the season for the Orioles. That's pretty exciting, even though we have to keep in mind that the Washington Nationals are 28th in Major League Baseball in team slugging percentage, so that's a pretty easy team to shut out. But still, it counts the same as a win over any other team, so that's all that the Orioles can do is beat the team that they are assigned to play on any given day. The 10-7 record now gives the Orioles a full season pace of 95 wins. I think we can all agree 95 wins would be pretty awesome to see from the 2023 Orioles. That would vastly exceed everyone's expectations once again. May not be enough to win the AL East. Of course, those Rays already have a pretty huge margin. If they keep winning like that, then it's going to be tough for even 95 wins to top that. And that's not even counting the Yankees and Blue Jays could get hot too. But the Rays keep getting hit by injury problems. We just had news uh, as I'm recording this podcast that their starting pitcher, Jeffrey Springs, is going to need Tommy John surgery. He's going to be out for the rest of the season. So they're going to need people to step up. Maybe they will be. Maybe they won't be. As for the Orioles, they really need to rack up wins between now and the, uh, the end of April. They're going in a stretch where they're going to play two series against the Tigers, another series against the Red Sox, and one more game coming up tonight against the Nationals. Uh, they really, they just need to pad their, their margin here because they're not going to be able to count on such easy stretches uh, going on through the season, especially once they start playing more of their AL East opponents. But for Tuesday's game, pretty freaking good. Dean Kramer finally had a good game in the 2023 season. Again, keeping in mind, it is against the Nationals, so we got to take it with a grain of salt. But still, six and two-thirds innings pitched, six strikeouts over that time, only allowing four hits. Kramer's going to need some more games like that because even after that lengthy shutout uh, appearance, he's still got an ERA of 6.16. Not very good. Relieving Kramer, we had Yenier Cano, who now has pitched three and two-thirds scoreless innings in the 2023 season. And Cano, exciting to me, he's just got the attitude of a dude who thinks that he's a dude. And that doesn't mean he's going to be a dude, but it's pretty cool to see someone coming out of nowhere and maybe blossoming. I know it's a little early. Uh, As much as I am accused of being a pessimist at times, I'm ready to believe, okay? I'm ready to be hurt at any time. I'm ready for the Orioles to, uh, I'm ready to believe in the Orioles and have them hurt me. So Cano, it's early, but he's maybe starting to give signs that he could be starting to sketch for himself a little bit of a Felix Bautista kind of story. And in that, I'm, I'm, I mean like this. Felix Bautista, he had a walk rate of 5.8 walks per nine innings in the 2021 season across three levels of the minor leagues. And he cut that to a 3.2 walks per nine innings in the 2022 season at the big league level. And he did that at age 27. So he was a late bloomer. He didn't really look like anything. And then suddenly, after the lost COVID year, Felix Bautista, he's been amazing. He's been dubbed the mountain. He's got the walk-in music, the light show, everything. And it's, it's pretty fun. So Yenier Cano, 
He's actually two years older than Felix Bautista, so he'd be even more of a late bloomer. But if he can suddenly harness some command, because he was just absolutely hard at the big league level in short stints in the 2022 season, that Jorge Lopez trade that brought Yenier Cano, I thought he was honestly kind of a throw-in just to make the 40-man roster math even out at the time the Orioles made that Jorge Lopez trade. So if he can turn into somebody interesting, then that's going to be a pretty nice trade even before we ever get to think about starting pitching prospect Kate Povich. Now, that's a big if. It is early. It's only been three scoreless outings for Yenier Cano, but this is already more than I expected to think about Yenier Cano one week before today. So good for him, and I hope that he's able to keep it coming. The Orioles, of course, they have no slouch waiting for them on Wednesday evening. Young-ish national starting pitcher Mackenzie Gore. He's done pretty well so far this year, although he has issued 10 walks in 15 innings, so hopefully that means the Orioles will maybe be able to hand Gore a tough start. It seems like it should be Kyle Bradish coming back from the injured list, although manager Brandon Hyde would not announce that after Tuesday's game. He said Wednesday's starter would be announced on Wednesday, so that's going to come after this podcast is released, and I guess we'll see. I, I don't know why it wouldn't be Kyle Bradish, but of course, I don't have all the information. As far as Tuesday's game, going back to our wins probability added that I've been talking about throughout this podcast, the biggest single play of that game was Felix Bautista getting the ground out to end the game with the tying run on second base. That moved the Orioles' chance of victory the last 14.3% of the way to get to 100%. That performance, however, does not make Bautista the most clutch player of the game. The most clutch was Kramer because when you're chewing through outs like he did in a tie game or a one-run game, that really helps your WPA margin. And Kramer, as it turned out, had a 43.9% impact single-handedly on the win probability for the Orioles in Tuesday's game. That's pretty good. Kramer becomes the eighth different player to have the best WPA in the Orioles' 10 wins. That's pretty good. Least clutch player for that particular game, well, it was Adley Rutschman. So, sorry, Adley, but going 0 for 4 in a close game when you're batting high in the lineup, uh, it it doesn't help you with the WPA. So, on that note, I did get an email, and if you want to uh, write in, you can write in camdencastpod at gmail.com. And I got an email before this episode from Camden Chat Reader 33 and he asked me, what is your view on the idea that there's no such thing as clutch? And 33 and anyone else, yes, when I use WPA to talk about clutch, it's really just meant as a fun exercise. I, I subscribe to the view that players pretty much perform in clutch situations equal to their talent level. And I think that players who are quote-unquote unclutch, they get weeded out before they really make it to the major league level or they don't stick around for long. So I think that keeping track of WPA, for me, it's just a fun little exercise, kind of keeping track of, as the classic Orioles Magic song said, every game has a different star, and with eight different players being the WPA leader in the 10 wins, I think we're getting that uh, demonstrated so far for the 2023 Orioles. So I'm not actually proclaiming that somebody is more clutch or less clutch or whatever, except for Adley Rutschman, who's been amazing. Adley Clutchman, great nickname. I hope he can keep that up because, honestly, that guy's pretty good. I will be right back after a brief message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. 
All right, so that's enough about Tuesday's Orioles game. Let's move on to our prospect of the day feature. And remember, this is using the composite top 20 Orioles prospect list that I have posted to CamdenChat.com. You can go there if you want to spoil yourself about who is going to be coming on future installments of this podcast. The composite ranking is made up of five different top Orioles prospect lists. I average the, all of the numbers together, put them in, and uh, that's, that's, that's the composite top 20. The list that I used to make up the top 20 came from Baseball America, Fangraphs, MLB Pipeline, The Athletics' Keith Law, and one local list, which is from fellow Orioles podcasters, On The Verge. So today, we're up to number five. Number five is Colton Kowser. I think he's got an underrated Baltimore accent name, Colton Kowser, hon. No, but that's not the main reason I like him. Kowser, he was actually number four on three of those five lists. However, two of them have soured on him a bit. He fell to number seven and number 12 on the fourth and the fifth lists. In particular, the Fangraphs list is now really down on Colton Kowser, which I will talk about a little bit in a minute. So the Orioles got Kowser in the 2021 draft. He was the number five overall pick. They chose to go for an underslot draft pick in signing in uh, picking him and signing him. He received a $4.9 million signing bonus, which was, I believe, about $1.6 million below the slot value that they had available to them from the number five pick. In picking Kowser, the Orioles passed on available high school shortstop talent that was kind of the talk of that draft class. The pick immediately after Kowser went to the Diamondbacks. He was Jordan Lawler. Lawler is now a top 20 prospect in baseball. He's looking pretty good. Uh, the other two guys, Brady House and Kalia Watson, have dropped off of top 100 prospect lists. So although people, including me, were kind of excited to, about the Orioles possibly drafting one of those guys, they didn't, they didn't draft them. And those two guys so far don't look like bad to have not picked. The real question, I guess, is going to be whether Kowser plus the other guys they used the extra money on to go over slot, which were outfielder John Rhodes and catcher Creed Willems, are better than if the Orioles had just drafted Lawler and then gone for slot value on their later picks. They were rumored to have maybe wanted to try and draft Judd Fabian with their second pick in that draft. He got popped one pick before they could be uh, they could take him by the Red Sox. Fabian, of course, did not end up signing with the Red Sox, went back into the 2022 draft, and the Orioles were then able to draft him. So we will have more to say about Fabian on a later episode because he is also on that composite top 20. But Kowser, before he was drafted, he was the number 10 draft prospect on the MLB Pipeline ranking. So that's still not too bad. It's not like taking a complete nobody at the number five pick, but it was maybe a bit of a reach. Pipeline said this about Kowser uh, in rating him at number 10. Quote, One of the best bats in the college class, Kowser has a pure left-handed stroke and repeatedly finds the barrel. His quick hands allow him to pepper line drives all over the field as he executes a very controlled approach. Scouts were split on his ability to remain in center field. End quote. That ability to maybe not remain in center field is part of the reason why Fangraphs has now hammered Kowser uh, I will quote from the Fangraph scouting capsule before the 2023 season to talk about a little bit of the downside with Kowser. Quote, Cracks began to show for Kowser in 2022 as he punched out at least 25% of the time at all three minor league levels. End quote. The thing about Kowser is he didn't strike out a lot in college. So to, for them and for others to see that Kowser is now striking out a lot 
is it suddenly became a real concern for them. And a bit more from there, Capsule, quote, it's tough for him to bend and barrel low off-speed pitches, even ones in the strike zone. And Kowser is still a maybe for center field, end quote. So I guess really the main thing we have to hope for is that the Fangraph's assessment of Kowser right now is wrong because it's going to be pretty discouraging if he is, as they say, kind of a platoon option in corner outfield spot. At least he's a lefty batter, so he would be the strong end of a platoon facing right-handed pitchers who are, of course, more plentiful. But, you know, uh, you don't want to get a platoon corner outfielder with the number five pick when somebody like maybe Jordan Lawler is really going to haunt them one pick later. As for Kowser himself, not that one game's results are determinative of his total talent, but he was on fire on Tuesday's game. He went 4-for-5, including his first home run of the 2023 minor league season for Norfolk. He's now on an eight-game hitting streak after a bit of an early scuffle, and Kowser's batting line for 2023 is now 293 average with a 406 on-base percentage and a 414 slugging percentage. If you could port that kind of player directly to Major League Baseball, which of course you can't, but if you could, that's pretty darn good. Kowser on the strikeout uh, rate, he's now got a 23% strikeout rate for the season so far. So that's a little bit less than last year. That's still higher than he was at in college, but it's enough to maybe quiet some of the concerns. I guess we'll see. Uh, The one thing to keep in mind as ever in talking about minor league stats, they don't tell you everything because, of course, at AAA, he's facing AAA competition, which is guys who maybe are not good enough to either be an MLB ever or right now. Um, and so, you know, he's, if he made it to Major League Baseball, he'd face harder competition. Would not certainly be guaranteed to have over a 400 on-base percentage. But hopefully that kind of batting line, he will be able to sustain something like that and show that he will be able to perform at that level, at the big league level. I don't know anything about Kowser's defense personally, so again, I just hope that Fangraph's capsule is wrong and the Kowser can be capable of playing center field, maybe in a role of something like the backup center fielder and also primary left fielder for the next several years. It's also possible he could end up being trade bait as the Orioles try to go and get some starting pitching. I don't really know. Next up on this uh, Prospect of the Day series, in the next episode, it's going to be Spoiler, Jordan Westberg. By the way, also with three hit nights on Con- uh, on in Tuesday's game for Norfolk were other infield prospects, Connor Norby and Joey Ortiz. And the infield prospects are important, as I'm going to dip into the mailbag one more time, as I got another email from Camden Chat reader Island O's, who asked, how will the Orioles deal with the impending logjam of quality infielders, and how will they be able to find more cost-effective controllable pitching, if not via the draft. So what's going to happen to Westberg, Norby, and Ortiz? And really also, I think, Kobe Mayo. Um, that's, 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 you know, some of these guys are probably going to get traded. That's simply what what's looking likely. Um, we can really, I guess, hope that the ones that the Orioles end up trading are the ones who are more like when the Dan Duquette Orioles acquired Yusniel Diaz, who had a pretty good prospect stock at the time of that trade, and he turned out to be worth bupkis. So I don't want to root for any of those guys to fail, but 
on the abstract level, I have to hope that the Orioles are able to correctly identify which ones are least likely to actually be successful players at the major league level and that they're able to entice other teams who are maybe, let's say, less enlightened, we can hope, to take those guys for their pitchers. Because the Mike Elias strategy, as Island O's noted, and you probably have as well, he just he doesn't draft pitchers. He has not uh, drafted and signed a pitcher in any of the first four rounds since he became the Orioles' general manager. And he's really kind of gotten pitchers more through trading veterans for pitching prospects, as like last year's trades that brought in Kate Povich, who was a third-round pick of the Twins in 2021, as well as Chase McDermott, a fourth-round pick of the Astros in 2021. So Elias maybe will be able to continue kind of stocking the system like that, I guess. You can hope if some of the prospects that are bubbling up are going to be able to, to immediately come up and replace some of their veterans, like let's say maybe Austin Hayes, maybe Anthony Santander, maybe Ramon Arias. If their prospects can come up and step in seamlessly, you can maybe still trade veterans. That might be more in the offseason rather than during a season uh, and maybe get either pitching prospects or even maybe somebody with like three years of service time or whatever. Um, I think trades like that would be easier to stomach compared to the Lopez and Mancini trades of 2022, as long as the prospects are ready. And really, maybe it won't hurt as much if the Orioles are able to build some success and it doesn't feel like, okay, in trading away Lopez and Mancini, they're hurting their chance of making the playoffs for the first time in several years. But it's also, I think, very likely that they're eventually going to package some of the glut of infield prospects for a more proven starter if that kind of player goes onto the market, which is rare. Um, these guys are starting to be slowly locked up to contracts, and it's it's not guaranteed that you're ever going to get to bid on any of these guys as free agents. And, you know, the top-end guys, um, they're not going to sign with the Orioles as free agents unless they're really backing up the dump trucks full of money, which we just haven't seen evidence that they're going to do it yet. Okay, so if you want to email me about anything I said today or just whatever's on your mind about the Orioles, you can email me, again, camdencastpod at gmail.com. I will read at least one email every episode where I get one. I got two this time, so thank you guys for writing in. I I really will be happy to hear from you and, and talk about whatever's on your mind about the Orioles. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider subscribing and leaving a rating or review. You can search for CameronCast on most modern podcasting platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and more, etc., etc. If it is missing on the platform you like, please email me and let me know. I will do my best to get it on there. New episodes of Good Morning Birdland come out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning, as long as life allows. At this moment, I don't see any reason why I could not have one Friday morning, so I will see you then. Between now and then, you can tweet me at Camden Chat on Twitter, Hopefully, uh, Twitter will actually let me see when I'm getting tweets, and I, uh, I do try to interact with people on there when I get tweets, so that's where you can find me there. And until then, Good Morning Birdland is a Camden Cast production on the Fans First Sports Network. Until Friday, go O's.